Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 44. Today in the show, we're joined by Robert Hanneman of Hunt and Fool to dive into everything a whitetail hunter needs to know to plan a successful western big game hunt. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. It's mid-February and hunting season is technically a long ways off, but if you're as addicted of a hunter as me and Dan are, we know you're probably already in the midst of planning your future hunting trips, and today that's exactly what we want to discuss. You know, But different than usual, we're going to discuss how to plan a non-whitetail trip. And I don't know if some of you might remember, last year we had an episode in which Dan and I shared our own personal experiences planning our first couple non-whitetail western trips, and hopefully that was helpful to you guys. But, you know, me and Dan obviously are still pretty novice when it comes to the western game. So, that said, today we're bringing in a real expert who's going to share with us some really great insight into how to go about planning a big western game hunt. So, Dan, we're going to be chatting with Robert Hanneman of Hunt and Fool. And uh, are you as excited as I am for this conversation? Yeah, I have a lot of questions, and um, I really don't know where to even start. You know, I've been doing the research about certain zones and tags and draws and lotteries and states, and it almost can be overwhelming at times, so uh, hopefully he can help us weed through it. Yeah, and I don't think our listeners know. We haven't actually, like, formally announced this, but uh, you and me are planning the first Wired to Hunt podcast hunt ever with both right. both co-hosts. So, so it's officially official now. Well, I, I say so. We just came out with it on the podcast. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's good because, you know, you know, I was putting off rumors that we were going to be going to Zimbabwe to hunt elephant. A lot of people were asking me those questions. You right. Know. That's a popular are you, theory. Yeah. Are you going to go to Afghanistan and hunt those sheep that right. those, you know, and I was like, uh, no comment. <laughs> But now, since it's official, I believe we're going to be going somewhere to hunt mule deer. Yeah, I think uh, I think we are going to go somewhere to hunt mule deer. Big, high country mule deer, right? High elevation uh, really put us to our limits as far as physical conditioning is concerned. Yeah, basically this came down to the fact that my wife says I'm in not good enough shape, and she, she wants me to find some way to, to pull it together. So that's what we're going to okay. try to do, right? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. We are, I'm pumped. I, I know right. you are too, but I am, I'm excited. <laughs> We're talking early September and I think, right. you know, right now we've been talking Idaho. It's an over-the-counter uh, state for some areas yep. and, uh, you know, I'm already familiar with some areas because of my elk hunting there and I'm going to be spending a lot of time there this summer. So I think we're going to be in a really good position to have uh, a great hunt, um, but like you said, Dan, I'm excited to talk to Robert here because he's going to be able to share a lot more insight, you know, that we can use. And I think a lot of the other people listening can use, you know, when it, when it comes to trying to plan, you know, any kind of Western hunt, because I know that's a topic, um, you know, for me originally, that it was something you know, I, I always wanted to do, but it's kind of intimidating because it's very different than hunting whitetails in Iowa or Michigan or wherever. 
Um, there's a lot of different things to consider. There's totally different kind of terrain to, to consider. Um, in some cases, you have to figure out, you know, how to get to these places by foot or horse, how to handle, you know, living out there. Um, and then everything that comes down to drawings and application systems. There's just a whole lot of stuff. Um, and it can be a little confusing. So, right. I've never been in a hunting situation before. Um, even when I went out to Nebraska, I, I, I had my bearings pretty straight, but I've never been in, a, in any type of situation in Iowa where, oh, I'm going to get lost on the way to my tree stand or back from my tree stand to my truck. Right. Um, and if I do get lost, I'm not really concerned about if the, um, you know, the terrain or the conditions is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that aspect right there is what makes going out West. So, in, you know, exciting for me. Yeah, there's uh, there's something about being out in the middle of the middle of the wilderness, no trails, no people, um, just you and a tent and nature, and you got to make it. It's uh, you're you're right out there with the with the animals on their terms on their turf, and it makes for a really cool experience. Right. So, now all I need to do is get my hundred hundred yard pin set, and I think we'll be good to go. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I'll be I'll be working on my forty and fifty yard pin. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm just going to take all my other pins off and just practice solely at a hundred yards. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> well, uh, not not. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I know you. Get, you know, one of the things I had to do when I was getting ready for my first elk hunt was extend my range a little bit. But I still. Some of these guys are shooting really, really long range with their bow setups, but I'm still, you know, 50 to 60 yards max probably for me. Everyone's got their own limit, but uh, yeah. but that's that is another thing to think about too is is how you practice and prepare for this kind of hunt on all sorts of different, you know, layers. Yep. So, well, I we agree. could we could probably BS here back and forth about our plans for a long time, and maybe we'll do that <clears throat> as we get closer to our own trip, but. We do have, you know, someone who's actually smart about this stuff who's going to be able to come on here and talk to us here pretty soon. So basically tell us what we need to do. Yeah, and and yeah. tell us what we've been saying wrong and doing wrong and and make sure we don't screw this thing up. So like I said to you before, um Robert, he's going to tell us where the largest mule deer in Idaho is located, right? I mean, <laughs> he has that kind of detailed information that he's going to share with us. <laughs> You know, I wish, but something tells me that probably won't be what we'll be discussing. <laughs> okay. Um, but but hopefully okay. he'll be able to you know point us in the right direction to help understand those types of questions for ourselves. I mean, so even if it's not the biggest one, I mean any second any biggest, second or third biggest, it'll work fine. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll shoot for that. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, then if you're ready, I'd say we should get Robert on the phone. Sounds good. All right. Let's do it. All right, here with us on the line is Robert Hanneman. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. Yeah, we are really excited to have you on. You know, as we mentioned just a little bit ago in the intro, uh, Dan and I are in the midst of planning our own Western hunts, so we are excited to, to pick your brain about all sorts of topics you know, related to, to planning these kinds of trips and making the most of them. Uh, but before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and fill us in on what you do with Hunt and Fool and, and what Hunt and Fool is? All right. Well, like I said, my name is Robert, and I've been hunting the West for 20-plus years. And uh, I've done um, hunts in just almost all the Western states and uh, you know, had a good time learning new country. Came to work for the Hunt and Fool a couple of years ago and 
at this point, I'm one of the hunting consultants, and uh, we're just here, you know, to help guys out um, with the West. We're a business that's been in, uh, for the last 20 years, we've been working here helping guys in the West, and uh, that's kind of it for right now, I guess. Awesome. And so, you know, as I understand, I've been, um, you know, as, as we've talked about before, me and Dan, I've gone out hunting out west twice now, um, but primarily, you know, an eastern whitetail hunter. But I have been exposed a little bit to Hunt and Fool. I know you guys have a magazine and a website, and you provide a number of resources um, and tools for guys that are hunting out west. Can you tell us just a little bit before we dive into some of these, these topics, can you tell us a little bit about what those resources and services are that you guys provide? Well, we got the Hunt and Fool magazine, which is a publication that covers 17 different states. Most of them are in the West, but we also cover a few states in the East. And uh, it's always written from a non-resident point of view to help an out-of-state hunter um, plan a hunt in one of the states out West. So, like, if anyone's looking to come out and hunt the West, you know, we encourage them to check out our publication and see if it's something they're interested in. But we can essentially cut the learning curve in half by just helping guys learn about the state draws, where to get the tags, and where the best areas to hunt, especially if you're a do-it-yourself kind of guy. Um, along with the publication, we also book for outfitters. We have a license app service to help you know, guys draw tags that are unfamiliar with the, the license app structure in the West. And then uh, we even are having a TV show starting in July. So we do a lot of different things here at the Hunting Fool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, I'm excited to check that out. So... You know, we've got two kind of groups of people, I think, that listen to the Wired Hunt podcast. Um, you know, it's it's hardcore whitetail hunters that are listening, but I think there's two camps out there. There's one group of guys who are serious whitetail hunters and have always said, ah, yes, yeah, someday I want to go out west or someday I want to try hunting elk or something like that. But it's always been something they say is someday. It's sometime in the future, but they maybe don't have the money right now or don't think they do or don't have the information, the knowledge. Maybe they're intimidated by all the planning or all the unknowns. There's that group of guys. And then there's another group of guys who, again, is a serious whitetail hunter, but they just have don't think they have any interest in hunting out west. They say, hey, I love hunting whitetails. That's all I need. Well, my question for you, Robert, to kind of kick this off is for that guy or girl in the second camp who doesn't, you know, seem to think that they want to do anything other than hunting whitetails. How would you pitch them on why someone should try hunting out west for big game other than whitetails? Actually, I'd tell them to stay home because if they come out here, it's just going to hurt my draw odds. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking about that. You know, honestly, you know, everybody grows up hunting something, and it's just kind of what they, their dad did, they did with their grandpa, you know, and it's just their passion, what they love. And it's just like anything else. Unless you, until you try something different, you don't know how amazing other things can be. Like, I know a lot of the guys in the East just love hunting turkeys. And, you know, they go out there and, you know, they'll, they'll call a turkey right into 20 yards and shoot it, and it's the biggest thrill in their life. Well, out here in the West, we call in 800-pound bull elk to 20 yards and shoot them. And it's a little bit more exciting than calling in a turkey. So I think those guys that are whitetail hunters, you know, if you never want to try anything different, you know, maybe you're happy with this whitetail. I mean, if that's where your passion is, I'll definitely stay there. But if you ever, at some point in your life, think, I would really like to go out west and shoot a big meal there or shoot an elk, you need to be planning for that now. You need to get ahead of the curve. You need to build a few points, do your research. Because honestly, in the west right now, you know, the best elk hunting in the west is happening right now. Yeah, I uh, I can attest to that. Um, 
what you mentioned there about turkey hunting, how, you know, it's exciting to call on a turkey and shoot it. But when you call on an 800 pound elk and shoot it, that's, that's a whole nother kind of rush. And I agree. It's, um, unbelievable. I, I know I've mentioned it before on the show, but holy smokes, after my first couple trips hunting elk, it's, uh, changed changed me it is absolutely in my blood and i think there's a lot of other guys out there who if exposed to it they would um they would be seriously addicted to so i guess if you're in the if you're trying to save money and your wife doesn't want you making any more hunting trips maybe you shouldn't try it but if you're if you're open to that you're uh, you're probably going to be going out there a lot more because it's pretty darn exciting that's for sure and uh well, once it gets into your blood too it's hard to keep from coming out west I mean, I don't know how many buddies that I've had that came out west for a hunt and now live out here. So, I mean, it's it's amazing the opportunities we have, the diversity of different animals. And, you know, like those hardcore whitetail hunters that, you know, love to rattle in bucks or grunt in bucks, I mean, you know, you just times that by five with the giant bull elk and you're hooked for life. Yeah, I, uh, I can see that. And I'm excited for Dan to experience, you know, some of that when we go out there in the mountains chasing, chasing muleys. So, I guess... For that guy or girl, then who is who's starting to, to plan? And you said you, know, you made a good point. You know, for someone who does have that interest in eventually going out west, they really need to start planning now. Um, so when you say that, what do you mean? You know, where where should somebody start? What are the first things that someone needs to be thinking about once they've decided they want to do a western big game hunt? You know, the very first thing they need to figure out is what they want to hunt. You know, because I mean that's going to decide which direction you need to go. If it's an elk or if it's an antelope. Um, you know, by first sitting down and deciding, like, what's the first big game animal I want to hunt? Once they've narrowed that down, you know, then there's a lot of different directions you want to go. And, I mean, let's just say if someone took, for instance, a mule deer. They want to come out west and they want to hunt mule deer. There's lots of different options. You guys have already figured one out. You know you can go to Idaho and you can buy a tag. And you know if either of you guys killed a buck, you could go into town and buy a second tag and keep hunting. In Idaho, they give you the option of both you guys shooting two bucks. So, I mean, that right there is something that, you know, not a lot of guys realize when they come to hunt these western states. There's all kinds of missed opportunities. But, like I said, depending on narrowing it down to the animal, then, you know, kind of deciding if, hey, do I want to do this archery? Do I want to do this rifle? Do I want to do this muzzleloader? By looking for a guided hunt, do-it-yourself hunt, you know. Once you figure out the animal, then decide guided or do-it-yourself and then maybe start thinking about a weapon, and then kind of start thinking about, you know, what kind of animal do I want to kill? I mean, if you're just happy with a nice representative of the species, there's tons of options out there. If you're just out here to kill just an absolute giant, you know, that definitely limits your options. Because just like whitetail, there's not a lot of them roaming the woods. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a lot of interesting topics there you mentioned, and I kind of want to start at the beginning and maybe get a little bit more detail from you on these because I'm, I'm interested too. Um for you know that first topic you mentioned, you know what do we want to hunt? What kind of animal? Do you have a recommendation for a whitetail hunter? Is there like a right species or a recommended species to try out first, or is it kind of whatever your flavor is that you've always dreamed of? You know, it's kind of whatever your flavor is. I mean, if you're looking for an elk or if you're looking for a mule deer, but I would say typically the most common first western big game hunt most guys do from the east is usually a combination, you know, deer slash antelope hunt because they're high success, you know, they're not an extremely rugged country. Um, so, you know, guys can come out and just kind of get their feet wet, you know, and you, you're successful that first trip, and then it just kind of, like you were with your elk, now you want more. So, you know, if you come out your first time and you just absolutely crash and burn, you're probably less likely to ever come back. 
So, you know, that first hunt, you should definitely try to get something that's high success, like, say, mule deer or an antelope hunt. I mean, elk hunting, you got extremely lucky. I mean, you know, a guy to kill a bull on his second year, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you did a great job there. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I agree. It was, I was pretty lucky it all worked out, and it was pretty awesome. Um, but to your point, once you do have that success, it becomes, you know, that much more um, – addicting to want to go back and try it again and find that second success or prove it wasn't a fluke. Um, so I can definitely attest to that. Um, Dan, what do you think about all this? Yeah. Um, I just basically almost feel like I should just be listening instead of talking at this point. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but you mentioned earlier, um, you mentioned a comment about, um, um, you know, what kind of animal you're looking for on some of these States does, the higher point, like the, the more number of points you need to draw or the longer wait until you draw, in, in some in some cases, does that reflect the quality of animal that is in that particular zone? Yeah, I mean, it honestly does. You know, a lot of these states, the supply and demand is offset. You know, there's more demand for, you know, giant bucks than the states willing to give tags. So, you know, it's going to take you longer to draw. Um, states like Colorado, it's a true preference point state, so whoever has the most points is going to draw the tag. So depending on the weapon you're looking for and depending on the you know, the, the top-end units are going to be harder to draw and take more years to draw, where some of the mid-range units you guys can hunt every couple of years and, you know, um, you know, some of the units where a guy can go and just kill a, a nice mature animal, you could be able to draw every year or every other year. So depending on, you know, your size of, you know, what you think you're going to come out here and shoot, um, that's going to dictate, you know, how many years it takes to draw some of these tags. Um, you know, for a guy that's never hunted the West, we honestly recommend that they come out and just hunt the West first. Um, here's a perfect example. You know, imagine one of you guys drew the best elk tag in Arizona, and neither of you had ever killed a bull. And you're coming out here on a world-class hunt, and you have no idea what's going on. I mean, you're just you're going to have a bull come in, you're going to make all kinds of mistakes and fail miserably. You know, to put it into your world, imagine you're on the best managed piece of private land for whitetail there ever is. I mean, you're on Lee and Tiffany's private lease, <laughs> and you've never hunted whitetail in your life. You don't know what you're doing, and you're lost. You're going to blow opportunities. Um, you know, where before you had an opportunity that had an awesome lease like that, maybe you should hunt you know, a bunch of public land and other stuff and be a good whitetail hunter. It's the same thing with elk. I, I feel really bad for when these guys draw these phenomenal tags and never hunted elk because they just, you know, they make mistakes. You really want to come out in the West, do like you guys are going to do, go to Idaho, hunt some over-the-counter stuff, get a few bulls under your belt before you do draw that once-in-a-lifetime tag because you want to have some experience when you do get lucky and have a chance at just a true giant. So with that said, then while me and Mark are going to Idaho this year for an over-the-counter um draw or a tag should we be preparing for the future and also be putting points in in other locations yeah i mean if if you know you had the dream to have a giant meal there on the wall you know the first thing i tell everybody is make sure you be buying a point in colorado every year colorado kills more giant uh, meal deer than any other state when it comes to looking at the record book i mean you know last year there was a 300-inch giant that was killed in Colorado. Um, you know, that's all over social media. You know, those kind of bucks, you know, you, you're going to want to have a handful of years of points before you can draw one of those tags. So, 
you know, as you guys are enjoying hunting mule deer in Idaho, um, you definitely should be building, you know, like a deer point in Colorado because, you know, five years down the road when you guys got some experience and you can cash it in on a really good unit and have just an awesome hunt. Yeah, I um, speaking of that giant buck kill in Colorado last year, I actually got to interview that guy, um, Brent Ross, for a story I'm working on for Outdoor Life, and I talked to him last week, and he is just a super nice guy. It's an awesome story and, and an incredible buck. So um, people will definitely want to check out all the stuff on Facebook, all over social media right now. There's actually a, a short film released about it, um, I think, a day or two ago. Um, so check out uh, Brent Ross's buck, his Colorado buck. It's a pretty cool story. Um, but something, well, a handful of different things that you guys were just talking about there, I want to kind of get a little bit more insight into. Because, Robert, you know, when it comes to, you know, when I was first looking at hunting out west, one of the things that right off the bat kind of shut me down was all these application processes and all these draws and all these preference points. And I was like, okay, Montana, I got to get this. And Wyoming, I got to get points for three years before I can get anything. And Colorado, I got to, well, Colorado some over-the-counter stuff. But Arizona, Utah, those are all completely out of my league. Um, and all these, just was intimidating, all these different systems and application processes. I didn't even want to look into it. Um, that said, can you help us, for the for those of us who aren't familiar with those processes, can you give us an high, a high-level overview of what the couple most popular application systems or point systems are for most of these Western states and how those basically work at a high level? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the first thing I would tell someone that was wanting to hunt the West was, you know, become a hunting full member for a year and uh, check the magazine out because it's going to break down every single the West, every single one of the Western states. And when we break a state down, we break down, you know, is it a preference point state? Is it a bonus point state? Do you have to upfront the money to apply? Do you not? Do you have to um, buy a purchase a hunting license before you apply? How old do you have to be to hunt? We essentially go through the state regulations and condense it down to three pages that you can read through in our magazine and it'll answer all your questions. Then we take every single unit in the state that we feel is going to give you a chance at a trophy animal and then we're going to break that down over five years. So uh, five years of harvest data, five years of draw odds, you know, the like for sheep, the best ram taken, the average ram taken. So you can kind of look at these areas and we'll say how much public land's in there. Um, you know, is it an area you can do it yourself or is it an area you need to be guided? But, you know, every state is completely different. And to try to explain all 17 states would be super difficult but you know just to start like with one of the most popular states is wyoming and wyoming has a true preference point state um so 75 percent of their non-resident tags are going to be given to non-residents with the max points 25 percent will go in the random draw so like you guys if you applied for wyoming this year you would be in the random draw so you still have a 25 percent you'd be a chance of 25 percent of the tags um, so those bonus points that we were talking about earlier, you know, when you get into those max point pools, you get a lot more opportunity at tags. Um, Wyoming is a state where you have to upfront the money, but you don't have to buy a hunting license. You have to purchase your points. Um, and the bonus point system for deer, elk, and antelope was started nine years ago. And the uh, um, bonus point system for uh, cheap moose and goat or excuse me, goat does not bonus point system, but the sheep and moose is almost 20 years into it. So most of these western states 
started these bonus point systems around 20 years ago. So for a guy just getting in the game now, it's a little intimidating, but if you weed through and stay away from the top-end units, um, there's a lot of giant animals that are taking on the mid-range units that people just overlook. So you know, that's part of what our publication, our publication started 20 years ago, really is just a you know, five-page magazine that was stapled together. And it essentially broke down each of the state's proclamations and told you guys where to apply. You know, it has turned into a lot of different facets. The Hunt Fool's a giant company now with almost 40 employees that work for us. Um, but it still comes down to the magazine is what most of our members subscribe for because it breaks down all the information. Like, we give you all the information to do it yourself. We're not trying to necessarily push outfitters or push a license app on you. If your guy was willing to just take the time and read our magazine, it would break down all the Western states for yourself. That's awesome. I'm excited to check that out. Um, so another thing you mentioned, just a touch before this, and I know we can't dive into details of every single state since they're all different with their own application systems and point systems and everything. Um, but, you know, if I'm a new guy and I, I'm going to, you know, get into this whole system, is there a state or two that you would recommend starting with, like that's not too terribly difficult to start understanding the system and that decent, has a, provides a decent opportunity? Yeah, and it really comes down to what animals you're looking to apply for. I mean, if you're, that's going to tell me what states that I'd tell guys to apply for um, one way or the other. But if, say, if you were a deer and elk kind of guy, you know, I'd say you definitely need to be applying for um, Colorado deer, be applying for deer and elk in Wyoming, um, antelope in Wyoming. And then states like Idaho, which you're going to, um, or New Mexico, they don't have a bonus point system. So it's not like you guys are behind the curve on bonus points. Everybody's equal every year in Idaho. So, I mean, you know, those are kind of states where, you know, you don't have to look at, towards the future of building points because there isn't any there. So, you know, if I was just going to start out with a few states uh, and I was a meal deer elk kind of guy, I would definitely be applying in Wyoming for elk and deer, and I'd also be applying in Colorado for deer. Um, that would kind of be my starter if I was looking to, you know, actually apply for tags. But you guys are totally on the right track. If I was looking to just come to the West and just hunt an over-the-counter unit, I'd be hunting Idaho and I'd be hunting Montana. And you guys are smack dab in some of the best country where you're elk hunting down there. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been happy with it so far. And Montana's definitely on my to-do list, too. I love the state. I've spent a little bit of time out there and going to spend some time out there this summer. And I'm just excited to hopefully in the next couple of years start hunting there, too. Um, now, we've talked about deer and elk, which are, you know, as you mentioned, probably a couple of the most popular species that most guys start with. Um, but what for the the apple pie high in the sky type of hunter who wants to shoot for a goat or a ram um, or moose or, or one of these other species that's a little bit harder to, to get at? Um, you know, where should I start looking if I'm trying to hunt one of those types of species? Where do, where do I begin that process? Well, if I was looking for mountain goat, the first state I would apply for is Montana. And there's a couple of reasons behind that. Montana gives more non-resident mountain goat tags than every other state combined, other than Alaska. So your odds of drawing a mountain goat tag in Montana are, you know, better than most other states. Um, I'm kind of partial to Montana. I killed a great mountain goat with a bow there a couple of years ago, and I've been on multiple goat hunts up there, so it's, it's probably my favorite goat state to hunt. But uh, that would be probably the, the first state that I'd be applying for if I was looking to hunt goat. For sheep, you know, Montana's got giant rams. It's the land of giant rams. You know, last year there was two rams killed over 203 inches, which are, I mean, just 
unrealistic. They're so giant. Wow. Uh, but the odds up there are horrible. So if I was looking for, you know, Rocky Mountain sheep um, and goats, I'd probably definitely be applying in Montana as my first state for both of those. Uh, if we switch over to desert sheep, um, Arizona and Nevada, hands down. They give out more desert sheep tags than the other states. They kill some giant rams every year. So those would be the two states I'd be applying there for team for desert bighorn sheep. And are, are these tags, I mean, are they, whenever I think about sheep and goats, um, I'm thinking like, almost no chance of ever even drawing it. That's my assumption based on some of the things I read, but I haven't really, really looked into it. Are these types of hunts like a once-in-a-lifetime hunt, or is it something that I could realistically say maybe be able to actually get out there and do one of these hunts in the next five years or something like that? You know, when it comes to sheep, plan on it being once-in-a-lifetime. I've known guys that have drawn a tag with no points. I've known guys that have applied for 20 years and never drawn a tag. So I tell guys never plan on drawing a sheep tag you're just hoping you know so you know when guys will kind of call the the joke around the office is you know we've all watched that movie dumb and dumber or he asked the girl you know what his odds are she's like one in a million and he's all excited and he's like so you're saying there's a chance so <laughs> I love that's that. literally what it's like with sheep hunting it's like you know we're willing to throw the dice every time for one in a hundred to one in a thousand odds because when it happens it's just the greatest thing in the world. I've been lucky enough to be on a lot of sheep hunts, and, uh, you know, it is an amazing experience. But I never plan on drawing. You know, it's not like any of the other tags in the West where you're like, oh, I'll draw that tag someday. You know, the sheep, it's just like you cross your fingers every single time before the draw gets out, and you wait like Christmas, and you hit refresh on the Internet screen 1,500 times before they finally post <laughs> the draws. But uh, you never really, you know, think you're gonna draw a sheep tag you know when you do it's kind of like playing the lottery that's awesome i uh sure would love to someday get that chance it looks it looks just incredible what about you dan would you ever want to do a sheep or, or goat hunt yes <laughs> that's it Short answer. yes <laughs> i mean okay so you know i've ever since i've started interest in the uh in that in the western type of hunting my focus on like tv shows and in web shows has fo- switched to western hunts and just it's like sitting in a in a tree stand and waiting for whitetail to come by is awesome but climbing up you know 10,000 feet and having more of an adventure behind your hunt is really what i find exciting so, yes. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm right there with you. I, uh, I'm excited someday. Speaking of, speaking of adventure and of incredible country, um, I've got a question for you that's a little bit farther west and a little bit farther north than what we've been talking about, Robert. What about Alaska? Um, for a guy that wants to hunt Alaska, and I'm not sure you know, how much you deal with that, with that state, but for someone who's, who just knows they want to hunt Alaska, where should they start? Is there a species or two that's a good starter Alaskan species or starter trip? You know, I think there is. If a guy was looking to go do Alaska, um, you know, honestly, I try to steer guys away from a moose. Um, if, if you've only ever hunted whitetail and, you know, you walked up on a 250-pound buck and you're like, oh, my gosh. When you walk up on a moose, you're in a total new world. I mean, you can't <laughs> even roll them over. So a lot of guys for their first time up there, 
Um, you know, we usually tell them to go after like a caribou hunt, you know, and there's a lot of great fly-in areas where, uh, you know, you can hire a pilot to fly you in and they'll drop off your camp and you can hunt for caribou for five or seven days. Um, or, you know, another great option that's a lot of fun is to go to Kodiak Island and hunt the blacktail deer. I mean, they, they're callable. Um, it's a great fun hunt. It's fairly steep. You know, if you wait till November, the rut, they're down closer to the beach. Um, there are a lot of big bears in there too. So, I mean, that's, we start hunting Alaska, you know, a lot of guys get a little bit more timid and afraid because, you know, there's a lot of big critters that live in the woods and go bump in the night when you're in your tent. <laughs> that's the truth. Um, I've spent, a, I've spent a pretty good amount of time in bear country. Um, but on that very topic, cause let's address it. There's probably some guys out there like, heck no, I, I don't want to go on Kodiak Island with these giant, uh, you know, grizzlies. What, uh, what kind of advice should a whitetail hunter who's never really spent a whole lot of time in grizzly country know about dealing with that kind of animal out there while they're hunting? Can you give us a one-on-one on that? Yeah, I would just, first advice is always carry bear spray, you know, and, and we all think we're a great crack shot and, you know, we can hit anything that moves, but honestly, if a big bear's, you know, coming at you a full tilt at 30 yards away, you really want bear spray. It's going to put a big pattern out there and stop him. Um, yeah, you might be able to hit him right between the eyes with your rifle, but I bet you can't do that three out of four times. So, I mean, you know, bear spray is, is the number one thing I carry, especially, you know, every year I'm hunting Montana, Idaho, Wyoming for elk. Um, I have bear spray um, that I carry when I'm bow hunting, especially, you know, and I always keep it exposed. So it's on a holster and it's usually on my chest right next to my bino harness. So it's really accessible. The second thing, if you're going to be hunting the West is, you know, make sure you have a buddy. You know, and not just so much for bears, but if you get something down, um, it's it's good to buddy hunt in this country because, you know, it's not like you're hunting a farm where you got cell service. I mean, a lot of the places in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, we don't have cell service. And if you fall or hurt yourself the ways in there, you know, you could be in real trouble, especially if you didn't leave a note. So I, if you're going to hunt the West, you know, and you're in bear country, definitely bear spray. And uh, definitely if you're going to come out and hunt the West, you know, bring a, bring a hunting buddy. It's not something I'd necessarily tell a guy to do, you know, solo. Unless he's hardcore, and that's just how he lives his life. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some, <laughs> there are some hardcores out there. That's it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, haven't done it yet, but it, it definitely, I think it would be a definitely different experience. Um, but I found like the one other having one other hunting buddy out there with you does seem to be a really good fit. Um, for trips and stuff. It's worked well for me the last couple of years, and we'll test that theory again this fall, Dan. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, all right. One other thing I wanted to say about hunting the West is don't be intimidated. You know, the guys from the East Coast, I'm intimidated to go hunt the East, honestly, and I don't know why. I just am. But <laughs> for guys coming out to hunt the West, don't be intimidated. There's tons of public land. You know, you guys are great hunters. You've been grinding it out for years. You know, this is just another challenge. You're going to do extremely well in it. You know, just come out here and give it a shot. Um, but don't be intimidated. I mean, these mountains look big, but once you start putting one boot in front of the other, you'd be surprised how fast you eat up that country. Yeah, so speaking of that, uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the specifics of getting, you know, figuring out where you're going to hunt and how to, you know, get those tags and everything. But what about some more advice just on that preparation in regards to, you know, how you should prepare physically or what you should prepare for mentally or what you should be packing. Can you give us some insight into, into, you know, if you were talking to a first time guy, you know, and you had five minutes to give him the lowdown of here, are the, you know, the five things you absolutely need to keep in mind when you're planning this trip, when it comes to those types of topics, what would you tell them? 
Well, you know, the first thing is be in the best shape you can be in. I mean, there's no such thing as being in too good a shape, um, you know. But if you're in poor shape, it's just going to hurt more. You know, the better shape you're in, it hurts less. But uh, try to be in as, you know, best shape you can be in. I know a lot of you guys are in pretty flat country, so you can't really, you know, go for big hikes with a pack on and stuff like that. But there's a lot of things you guys can do to prepare yourself to be in good shape. Um, when it comes to being mentally strong, if you guys are sitting in a tree stand dark to dark for seven days, you're mentally strong enough to do anything in the West. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, I, I talked to some buddies that hunt out there and they sit, you know, all day, every day for days. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow, that just blows my mind. But, you know, so mentally strength, strong, um, you know, and again, if you have a buddy that kind of helps that because you just, you know, you can, you know, feed off each other. If you're going to hunt the West, you know, some of the things for a first timer is uh, have a good pair of boots and make sure they're broken in. Um, and I mean broken in because depending on where you're at in the east, you don't have too many hills. It's kind of hard to break in a pair of boots even on flat ground, and you might have had them for a year and then hit the first mountain and blister up. So I don't know where you can do it, but try to break in your boots the best you can because once your feet go bad, your hunt's over. I mean, it's just miserable after that point. So um, have solid boots. Make sure they're broken in. Um, two, or I guess number three or four, I lost track. But anyways... <laughs> Make sure your rifle is sighted in. Um, I know a lot of guys that I've guided over the years from the east, you know, it's 300 yards, and they're like, it's too far. And 300 yards to a western hunter is, is a pot shot. And most of us sight our guns in for 300 yards. So, I mean, if you got a range or someone's place you can go to, you know, be confident out to 400 yards. I mean, that's going to help you dramatically, you know, if you're a rifle hunter, if you're a bow hunter. You know, I have pins to 80, yard, or 80 um, yards on my bow. Now, do I shoot at the bow at 80 yards? No. But by practicing consistently at 70 and 80 yards, it makes a 40 and 50-yard shot seem like a chip shot. So just be ready for those longer shots and take the first good opportunity you get for a shot. Um, it's not like they're coming into a tree stand and, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of time where they could be around you, you know, at a scrape or something like that. You know, so don't wait for that perfect, perfect shot. If you get a good ethical shot and you can get it in the vitals, take the shot. Um, other than that, bring good quality gear. You know, it, it, if it's anything from your tent to your clothing to your rain gear, um, you know, you just want to have good quality gear because, again, if you're uncomfortable, the hunt's going to be miserable. So are there um, kind of uh, piggybacking off that gear question, is there – is there any tips or tricks that you found that can help a, a first timer maybe cut some costs? Because what I'm running into right now is uh, this is my first official Western hunt. I'm, I don't really count Nebraska because it was a it, it's flat land and I was able to stay at a, a relative's house every day. Now I'm going to have to buy a whole bunch of different uh, gear and equipment for this. Just kind of curious if there's any, tips or tricks that you found that could help me spend less money, but still get, you know, quality gear? Well, you got to look at it this way. You get what you pay for with gear. And I yeah. mean, QU gear, Sitka gear, first sight gear, they're all high quality. They're all great Western, um, you know, hunting gear, but it costs a ton of money. If you look back 10 years ago, everybody that was hunting the West and being super successful was wearing Wranglers and Carhartts. So don't think you're not going to have a great hunt just because you're not wearing the latest, greatest fashion. Um, 
you know, a lot of these, you know, companies, you can find good gear that someone's bought and put on eBay and you pick up half price or, you know, get lucky and find it there. But honestly, when it comes to gear, my backpack, my boots, my optics, and my rain gear are the four things I put all my money into. And then it goes from there. So, you know, rain gear, you got to have high-end rain gear. You got to have high-end optics, high-end boots, and if it's a backpack style hunt, you got to have a high-end backpack because it's just, you know, that's what you're carrying everything in. Um, the rest of the stuff you can kind of get by with. Maybe you don't have the newest, latest, greatest sleeping bag, and yours is six pounds instead of three pounds, but it's going to do the job, you know. And you're just going to have to cut weight somewhere else. And you know, if you, you know, the hunting clothing that you're using on the east, if you've got any early season stuff, is probably going to work pretty darn well in the west. The biggest thing out here, probably the same with you guys, is just layering. Because, you know, in the morning it could be below freezing and it could be 60 by midday. So, you know, for us western hunters, you know, you get the best gear you can buy, but just prioritize the stuff that's most important. You know, I, I always feel bad when I run into a guy in the field and he's got brand new Sitka everything. I mean, he looks like he just walked out of Cabela's and uh, he's got a pair of $100 binoculars. And I'm just like, I know he's got $2,000 worth of boots, clothes, and a backpack, and he's got a $100 for binoculars. So definitely prioritize, you know, what you're going to spend your money on. And, uh, you know, just like that kid that killed that 300-incher, you know, again, he was just out having fun with his buddies, you know, hunting in his normal clothes, you know. So you don't got to get excited and think you have to have the highest, greatest stuff. Um, it is great quality, and it lasts a long time, but, you know, just – you know, put your money where you need to to get out here, and then if you're going to continue to do it, then every year you can upgrade, you know, something. It's hard to drop tons of money and upgrade everything your first year like you're trying to do. Get the most important things this year. Next year, upgrade two things. The year after that, upgrade two things. Pretty soon after five years, you've got a pretty awesome outfit, you know, from your pack to your uh, sleeping bag to your tent to everything else. That's some, that's some awesome advice. Um, yeah, I want to pick your brain a little bit more about optics because that's something that's so important and it's especially important out west even more so than for us guys out east um can you give us a couple questions related to this i guess number one spotting scope or binoculars which one should we be looking at or should we have both and then number two both both? okay can you you tell me more can you tell us more about that why and then what should we be looking for in quality spotting scope or binoculars well we'll start with both so me personally, I carry a pair of 10 power binoculars on my neck, and then I have a 20 by 60 spotting scope in my backpack. And a lot of guys are like, do you really need that spotting scope? Well, here's my deal. I'm usually only after trophy animals. If I spot a buck that's three miles away through my 10 power binoculars, and I can tell you the buck. If I didn't have that spotting scope, I'd have to walk three miles through rough terrain to find out if he was a shooter or not. I can pull my spotter out, crank to 60, and be like, nope, it's not a shooter, and then go right back to glass. So I think the spot and scope saves tremendous amount of legwork because you can judge something from miles away and know if it's what you're after or what you, what you want or which it isn't. Um, and then the other biggest thing is if you're out in the west, put your binoculars on a tripod. You would be amazed. You'll see 40% more stuff when you have your binoculars on a tripod and they're rock steady. You would not believe the movement you'd find at 800 yards of a deer twitching his ear or a bird flying. 
you know, just push the bush. Um, so I would highly recommend that. And if you don't want to put them on a bipod, you know, a lot of guys have a trekking stick or a walking stick and just kind of sit down and set that in the ground and then glass off that. But the more steady you can make your optics, the more things you're going to pick up. Um, but I, I would not go in the field even on a half-day hunt without my spawn scope. You know, out in the west, there's just, you know, you can see something over there and maybe it's five miles and you don't know if it's a bull or a cow. You know, you have to start walking over there to figure it out, and the spot scope you'd be able to tell that out. Yeah. So always carry both. Always carry a rangefinder. You know, a lot of guys will just use a rangefinder to know, like, you know, how far it is to take the shot. Um, you know, guys in the east, you're ranging everything. Well, here in the west, especially archery hunting, you know, a lot of times, you know, say I find a bedded buck, and I range him, and he's at 120 yards, and then I can range things between me and him and know, okay, when I get to that red rock, I'm 80 yards from him. When I get to that down log, I'm going to be within 35 yards. I'm going to be ready to take a shot. So by ranging the animal and then ranging other things, you can just do the math and figure out how far away you are. And uh, it really makes a difference. And when you get up there, you know, hey, I'm within 35 yards in case as you start to kneel, you get ready, he stands up, you don't have time to range again, you know approximately right where you're at. So I use my rangefinder for all kinds of different things other than just ranging right before the shot. Interesting. So then when it comes, oh, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say, I think where you were about to go with it was, all right, if, I, if I'm buying both, what should I be looking for in those two different types of optics? Again, I mean, optics is the one thing in this world where I truly feel you get what you pay for. And, I mean, optics are expensive. But I tell guys, get the best you can afford, you know. Um, whatever that is, if it's a $500 pair of binoculars and a $500 spot and scope, you know, that's going to do you a lot better than, um, you know, just a pair of binoculars or just a spot and scope. So whatever's the best you can afford is kind of the direction that I'd be going. You know, and a lot of times if there's two of you going, you can, you know, go in on the spot and scope together and each buy binoculars and maybe you have a shared spot and scope, you know, and then if guys going out west, he can take that. So I highly recommend a spot and scope. And while we're on optics, another thing I just want to quick point out is, again, guiding all those years, the guy shows up, he's got an $800 rifle and a $150 scope on there. I tell guys, whatever much money you spend on your rifle, spend the same amount on your scope. So if you're going to buy a $600 rifle, buy a $600 scope. You know, out here in the West, you know, sometimes you get that chance at that buck right at, uh, you know, right at legal shooting light. And if you don't have a higher-end scope, you know, your scope's going to be dark. I don't know how many clients I've had that have looked through the binoculars, seen the buck, and then they looked through their scope and it was black because their scope didn't gather as much light because they had a cheap quality scope. Yeah, you don't want that to happen, that's for sure. <laughs> so, so speaking of money, another thing that I know a lot of people will be thinking about when planning a trip like this is should they go DIY or should they go with an outfitter? What would you recommend for someone planning their first hunt? What's the right way to go? If a guy's got the time to do the research, 100%, I'd go self-guided. You know, I really think that if you have the time to get the maps, study the maps, make phone calls, um, talk to the biologist, you know, do a little Internet research, I think a guy can put together a pretty awesome plan by himself. If you're the type of guy that's like super busy family life, don't have a lot of time to devote to this, you know, maybe a guy that should be your first time out west. Okay. All right. And I think it probably definitely comes down to, too, what you're looking to get out of it. Like for me, um, you know, I, 
I get a lot of my fulfillment from all the work that I put into the hunt, regardless if I kill or anything. I really want to know I, I did all that to get to some point. Um, so for me, DIYs. DIY is how I'd want to go. But for some guys, like you said, limited time or whatever it might be, they might want to go a different route. So it definitely seems like one of those things that comes down to each person's own priorities and then what what their abilities too are, I imagine. Exactly. I think it'd be the same thing in, in the East. Some guys won't hunt leased land. Other guys only want to hunt public land. I mean, I think it's just, you know, everybody's different on their choices. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dan, uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Have any other questions for Robert here? Yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest mistake that first timers, like my, I would consider myself a first timer and, and someone novice like Mark, uh, what, what's the biggest mistake that someone from, you know, the Midwest and, and goes to the West makes? The biggest mistake I see is, kind of twofold. One, guys show up in their area, and it's so big and so vast, and there's other hunters, and they just get discouraged instantly. And they give up on the hunt before it starts. The second thing is guys don't leave the road. Guys come from the Midwest, and they just, you know, drive roads and, and you know, never leave the road. I mean, in the West, most of these animals are used to road hunters, and you would be surprised the amount of animals you see throughout the West once you break that one mile, half mile to one mile barrier from a road, it's like it's a whole other area. So be willing to get off the road and, uh, you know, don't be discouraged. Mark, I'm going to try to talk you out of uh, launching this podcast because I feel that there's so much good information that I don't want anybody else to know it. <laughs> you want to hoard it all to yourself so you I want can to hoard it all to myself take advantage of it in a couple months yeah i understand um i definitely seen the same thing though that you mentioned right there robert once you get off the road a couple miles the couple times i've been out there it is totally different yeah. and i think for me the experience is totally different too you know you're for me i like going out there to get away from people and so once you get deep off that road and it's just you in the wilderness, it's it's a whole other world and experience, and that's what I really enjoy. No, it is. And there's, you know, that's the big difference from the west to the east is we have so much public land in the west, but it's absolutely unbelievable. You can go so many places and experience so many different types of hunts all on public land. Yeah, it's an incredible resource. We're really fortunate that uh, that those types of lands are available for us to use. So, you know, we're getting, we're getting pretty close here on time, but I want to be selfish here a little bit and pick your brain on one more topic. And this, you know, I think will be relevant to a lot of guys, um, you know, mule deer and elk again are probably the most popular species that most first timers are, are going out to hunt, or at least white tailors going out to hunt. Can you give us like your brief couple minute one-on-one on hunting tactics for each of those species. Um, you know, I'm going out there as a white tail hunter. What are the basics that I need to know from a hunting perspective for mule deer in the high country and elk? You know, for a guy getting ready to start hunting mule deer, um, you know, coming out to the West, the biggest thing that I tell people instantly is the trophies in the eye of the beholder. If you see something you want to shoot, shoot it and be happy with it. If you're happy enough to put it on your wall, that's awesome. Don't be discouraged about what anyone else is going to say. And if it's not big enough, I mean, if all you're doing is looking at the cover of our magazine and every other magazine out there, whatever you kill is going to be inferior because we're showing the best 25 animals that were killed in North America every year. 
you know, throughout the top three or four publications in the West. So come out West, have a good hunt, find an animal, shoot it. For mule deer, high country, you know, glassing is your biggest thing. Always want to glass with the sun at your back. You know, too many guys I've watched, they come out and they just think, if I'm glassing, I'm doing well. Use the sun, you know, in the mornings you want the sun at the back, in the evenings you want your sun, the sun at the back. And uh, put your optics on a tripod <clears throat> and glass, you know. And don't just randomly glass everywhere. Systematically glass an area. Like I'll start out, I'll look for areas that look like a place where a buck would be, you know, like real bucky areas. And I'm going to glass those areas first kind of rapidly. And then, you know, then I usually go into a thorough glassing pattern where, you know, I just start treating the whole entire area and I glass. And don't be afraid to spend a morning in one area. Too many guys will throw up their binoculars, glass for five minutes, and they're like, okay, let's go over the ridge, and they miss so many things. So if you're going to commit to glassing and sit down, you will see ten times the animals that anyone else will that's just walking around. Let your glass do the work and save your feet. If you're going to hunt the west, that goes for deer or elk. You know, so come into the high country, be prepared, you know, and when you take your animal, like you guys will this year, I'm sure, you know, just be ready to take care of it and get it out before it'll spoil. Um, when it comes to elk hunting, you know, it all depends, archery and muzzleloader. But, uh, you know, if a guy's coming out on an archery hunt in the West, everybody wants to blow a beagle. Everybody in the world decided to blow a beagle. It's better to listen. Just listen. Let the elk talk first. Move in on them, and then try to start calling them. Don't be jumping out of your car running 10 feet from the truck and screaming on a bugle. Yeah, some bulls will get called back to you, but really what you're doing is educating the most elk. You know, if I'm going to be archery elk hunting, I'll get up at 2 in the morning, and I'll drive to different areas if I'm hunting down in, like, Arizona or New Mexico where there's lots of roads. I'll shut my truck off, and I'll just listen. And I'll hear bulls screaming in the night. If I hear a bull that sounds big enough, then I'll go out after him, and I'll just kind of ghost him until it gets daylight. And if he's a bull I want, I'll try to harvest him. If he's not, I turn around and go back. Um, if I'm hunting, you know, up in Montana or Idaho in the high country, you know, I do a lot more listening than I do calling. I think the biggest mistake archery hunters do in the West is overcall because everybody watches on TV where these private ranches, someone blows a call and 18 bulls come running in. Well, <laughs> as you found out in Idaho, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely the biggest lesson learned for me from year one to year two um, was I just shut up just shut up and listen and get close before you make any noise. And that seemed to make a huge, huge difference. So Dan, do you have any final questions for Robert before we let him go and we lose our lifeline to Western expert knowledge? Just one question. Um, where is the largest mule deer in Idaho located? And <laughs> can you give me directions to him? <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll send you a GPS location of him on the oh. ground with my kill phone. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good response right there. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I hope, uh, I'd be happy just to find a mule deer buck uh, come September and uh, get close enough to him. So hopefully we'll, uh, I think with this knowledge you've been able to share with us, Robert, I think me and Dan are definitely going to be in a better position to do so. And hopefully a lot of our listeners will be too, whether it's mule deer, elk, antelope, or anything else. Um, I think this has been really helpful. Um, so thank you for that, Robert. And if any of our listeners want to take advantage of your resources at Hunt and Fool, where should they go? 
they can just go to huntandfull.com and it'll take them to our website. And, uh, you know, from there they can learn about us. If they have any questions, they can call in if uh, they're not sure they want to be a member or not, and we can explain more of the services. But like I said, it's a, it's a, a giant machine of what we do, and, you know, we've been doing this for the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, one of the other cool things I just wanted to point out real quick is if you are a Huntful member, and let's say you do draw a tag in Idaho, um, and you're a do-it-yourself kind of guy, what you can do is you can call up us, and we have a member's draw database. For the last 20 years, all the hunters that we've had drawn, we put into this database. So let's just say you guys got lucky this year, and you drew Unit 40 in Idaho. You'd call us up, and you'd say, hey, Robert, I got lucky. I drew Unit 40 in Idaho. We would send you an email of all the hunting full members that have drawn that tag in the last couple of years with their phone numbers. So you could literally pick up the phone and talk to guys that have had that exact same tag in the last couple of years, you know, and then you can wow. go over maps with them. And they're extremely helpful for a self-guided guy to, you know, hunt the West. That's something that we've been doing for the last 20 years. and We have an extremely extensive member draw database. Wow, that is, that's incredible. That's uh, huge. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I did not know about that. So looks like we're going to be bugging a whole bunch of people <laughs> on the phone and over email. Cause that it's sounds... two in the morning. Why are you calling me? <laughs> Got some questions. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Robert, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, you've got me even more excited than I already was about this fall. So thank you for that. And um, hopefully we'll chat with you again soon and maybe with, a, maybe with a big deer hunting story to tell you. That sounds great. We'll talk to you boys later. Thanks, Robert. All right, buddy. Bye. Well, that's going to wrap things up here for another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast. And I know we're all whitetail junkies, but every once in a while, it's nice to change things up a bit. And the adventure of a Western hunt is definitely the kind of occasional change-up that I think that many of you would enjoy. And as I've said a couple times already here today, I'm officially hooked. And I wager that many of you will be too if you try your hand at it. And speaking of, if you end up wanting to check out any of the resources at Hunt and Fool that Robert mentioned, you can go to huntandfool.com slash trial, and there you can get a free 60-day trial membership of Hunt and Fool. That's huntin' with H-U-N-T-I-N, fool.com slash trial for that free trial membership. That said, moving on, as always, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And we'd love it so much, in fact, that I'd like to make you a proposition. For anyone that leaves a review between now and next Wednesday, the 25th of February, 2015, I'll select one of those reviewers, read their review out loud on the podcast next week, and send them one of our brand new, totally redesigned Wired to Hunt hats with our new logo that hasn't even been shown to anyone yet, and the hats aren't even available to purchase yet. So leave a review between now and Wednesday, the 25th of February, and you might get on the air and get a free hat. So that should be a pretty cool deal. Also, if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you do that through iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. It's a lot easier than listening in through our website. As always, we'd also like to thank our partners who have helped make the podcast a huge success so far. So a big thank you to Sika Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, Thank you. You guys make this show. You guys keep me waking up every morning excited to come into work, and you make Wired to Hunt the really most awesome community of whitetail addicts out there. So thank you for that. All that said, 
I hope you're feeling inspired today to try something new, to get outdoors and chase something, whether it's a whitetail or an elk or a mountain goat. And of course, I hope you'll always stay wired to hunt.